Well, we're in ordinary time, and that's the longest season of the year. And actually, next week is the last week of ordinary time with Christ the King Sunday. And it's a great time for studying through something that's long, week after week after week, like the parables, that we can have some time to really build our understanding. Father Alex and Father James both would recount the parables that had come before to try to get this understanding of of this the sequence of parables there's 33 different parables that Jesus taught and they're all contained in the synoptic gospels which are Matthew Mark and Luke um, John's gospel is written much later and uh, really had the, the insight of John the beloved gospel uh, writer the beloved disciple um, of seeing that these synoptic gospels really give us the structure and the sequence and the miracles and the different things but what he needed to bring is the deeper spiritual meaning. So if you're a new Christian or young or your faith's gotten a little cluttered, go back and read Luke and then read John. And that just it really re reboots kind of who we are. Um, now, one thing I noticed about all the, God, all the parables is that they all tend to point directly to the kingdom of God. One way or another, you can group them in kind of different topics, but they're all talking about this kingdom of God. And so it's not a kingdom like we think of on earth with armies and opulent castles and a place where you can go build a snowman, you know, and lots of, you know, poor people and a few very, very wealthy people. But it's a, a kingdom of the heart and mind and actions. It's a kingdom built on God's perspective of righteousness and justice. You hear us talking about that a lot, abiding in Christ and, and loving others and, and creating a more fair world. And, but in our kingdom, the one we're citizens of, every member of that kingdom is a son or a daughter of the Most High King. We're all stand equal because of what he's done in Jesus Christ. That's our true citizenship. And if you think about it, these parables all point us back to the model prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Parables are very different than riddles and allegories or fables or other folk legends, even though they may contain some of these same elements. There's actually 725 Aesop's fables, and we can probably remember a handful, you know, half a dozen or so. Um, Hare and the tortoise, the, the goose and the golden egg, and my favorite, which is the fox and the scorpion, because that actually has some really good practical applications when you're doing a lot of the work that I've done over the years. Um, but there were never groups who were just angered by the hare losing the race, and there was never any deep discussions about the, the logic behind not eating a goose that, that lays a golden egg. I mean, they're just simple moral lessons, but a parable is something quite different. Speaking of a golden egg in our parable today, the talent is a unit of money based on weight. You remember the images of the weighing things, and it's, it was a weight measure. Um, and if you translated that into our economy, one talent would equal about $600,000. So if you've been feeling kind of bad for the wicked servant who actually only got $600,000, you know, you can do a lot with that. You can do a lot of good. It's a challenge I think that uh, most of us would, would love to have. 
But you know, interestingly, the, the word we have for talent now, which your, your gifts, your skills, your experience and all, actually came from this parable. It's not the other way around. It's not that, you know, we took the, you know, we imposed it back on. But over time, people realizing that very few people are going to get the kind of money given to them and to their charge, that it had a lot more to do with money, what Jesus was talking about. It had to do with everything we are and everything we have to offer back, what he's given us, the breath in our lungs, the thoughts in our head. My ears don't work that well anyway, but... It's not doing its job. Can you help me out there? Thank you. Wonderful. I'm glad it came in handy to have an ear. So. But the parable, I mean, the um, fables, they're cute, and they're kind of pithy, and they get, have a point, but there's no mystery. There's nothing life-changing about them, nothing life-challenging about them um, or disturbing it's disturbing the parables and Jesus' insights. It should disturb us. So let's go over the basic facts of this parable. A wealthy man's gone on a journey. He entrusts a great deal of money, property, to this three of his servants. To one, he gave five talents, which is $3 million. To another, he gave two talents, which is $1.2 million. And the third, he gave one talent, which is $600,000. That's a lot of trust that the master has put in them and us. The master went away, and it says for a long time. Well, we know what that's symbolic of in terms of, of Jesus coming again, of the master coming again at some point and seeing how well we've, we've done with this investment. And two of them did well, and one of them had a ton of excuses, even blames the master for not, you know, somehow the world wasn't fair for him in this situation. And the master was furious with the irresponsibility of the third um, servant and severely punished him. Then the master took back the money from that servant and gave it to the servant who was um, productive. And one thing that's really important when you read a parable is look for the main point, okay? A parable generally has like one main point, and that's the point Jesus is making aside. Now, he's putting it in the context of a story. So sometimes the secondary points are uh, important points that we need to also ponder and to really look more deeply in. Um, but sometimes it's just completing the story and engaging the audience that people who... Um, the business deal at the end when the master gave the money to the um, guy that was producing the most, that's a, that's a well-known business principle. If you want to invest, invest in successful companies because they're the ones you'll get the biggest return on. And so anybody in the audience would have known Jesus knew what he was talking about. And so you've got to sometimes discern a little bit between um, these different secondary points that are made in a parable. But there is one point that don't miss and also don't ignore the other points, but don't miss the one point. And the, the one point in this story is be faithful like the faithful stewards, servants and not unfaithful like the wicked lazy servant. That's the point. And it kind of reminds me of what Kathy and I, uh, when we were raising teenagers, we had five teenagers for six years, uh, or for three years, I think it was, um, is that whenever they were going out, we said, okay, only two rules. Do what's right and don't do what's wrong. 
And if you'll do that, you'll be fine. William Barclay, a commentator, um, said there's no doubt in the original parable that the attention was really riveted on that useless servant. Again, the main point of the useless servant. No doubt it stood for the, the Pharisees and the scribes in their attitude towards the law and truth. Remember, this is an ongoing dialogue that Jesus has given 30 parables, you know, and, and probably hundreds, and, and that he's, he's in this interaction between the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day um, because they kept trying to control truth and keep God away from all those sinners and to create barriers between God and those who need him. And I think um, Barclay's right. He says that they had a common saying there that they tried to build a fence around the law. They're trying to protect the law, which I heard a seminary professor one time say, that's kind of like getting in front of a lion's den to so you can protect the lions. I mean, the lions, they'll take care of themselves. God's truth never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But organizations, institutions, religious leaders, all of us at some time can really get derailed and become selfish and greedy and unfaithful, politicized, wicky and lazy like the, like the servant, and oppressive. And that was the context where Jesus gave this parable. So he really nailed it as, as hard as a son of God would, could nail it right there with them about the dangers of this type of an attitude. It excludes sinners from the kingdom of God, protectionism. And that's the only times you really see Jesus get angry. You can see him get animated, like he's raising his voice and he's you know, getting it. Sometimes that results in them wanting to throw him off a cliff or something like that. Um, but, they, but there's some times when he just really got angry and kicked over some tables. And so he wants to do that in our lives, you know, whether symbolically, well, hopefully just symbolically. Uh, but he did that literally as well. But it kind of reminds me of that attitude of, of protectionism. We have to protect and we have to, to not not trust the movement of God's spirit. We have to, to make it a code and a law instead of the spirit of the law that is moving us forward and, and teaching us truth. It reminds me of a story I heard about a bicycle built for two and there were two people on it and they came to this huge hill. And so they hit that hill and they're going up it. And once they arrived, the person on the front said, man, that was crazy. That's, I've never worked so hard in my life. And the guy in the back said, yeah, me too. I was so afraid we'd slide back down the hill. I stood on the brake the whole time. God wants us to pedal together. He wants us to, to, to actively, to, to trust, to take the risk of investing what he's invested in us and not being afraid. It really is true. The only thing sometimes we had to fear is fear itself, according to FDR in his uh, first inaugural address. So we are not to be careless or neglectful with God's entrust us. How much we produce, whether it's two talents or five talents or one more talent or whatever, that's not the point. But the effort is the point. None of us has any control over who we were born or where we were born or what language we were born into whether we were born into wealth or into poverty, or we were born into somewhere in between. 
but we are responsible for our lives and with what we've been entrusted. As Father James mentioned in his October message, a steward is someone who manages the property of an owner according to that owner's values. This is who we are and whose we are. The three characters in his parable were stewards of what the owner had given them. Two gave their best effort and one failed miserably due to lack of effort. God is concerned by how we invest our time, our money, our talents, our relationships, and the consequences of those relationships. Do what's right, don't do what's wrong. Now, before we get too concerned that I'm talking a works method of getting to heaven, let me remind you that um, our actions, you think we can maybe be good enough? They can't. (laughs) We live under grace. We cannot be good enough. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We all deserve the punishment of the wicked servant. But here's the good news summarized in Romans 8, 1 and 2, the core throughout the gospel message. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Man, that's really good news. Jesus overcame our sin and our death through his sacrifice on the cross and his bodily resurrection, and he will return as our king and our judge. However, the parable does cut right to our responsibility. The apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do all things, all good things that he planned for us long ago. And we all want to hear the words of the master when he returns. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. And it's only possible because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done done for us. But those are good words. I have a good friend many years uh, in Louisville named Marvin who sustained a brain injury while he was working in a cooling tower in a nuclear plant that they were putting in, and he worked in elevators, and he was leaning down, working on the electrical work, um, and someone dropped a piece of metal about 15 stories above him and hit him in the back of the head. And he tells me the story. Um, he said, I was looking down and working, and Jimmy Carter was president, And he says, and then I opened my eyes and I'm in a bed in a rehab center somewhere and Ronald Reagan's president. And that was quite a shock. Talk about getting a quick, you know, (laughs) election response. It took him about two years before he could actually have retained memory. He could sort of interact after about 70 days in in a coma. But a remarkable guy. And, and in that moment, his life changed. And Marvin though, didn't give up. He's done incredible things. In fact, Death Team Quest um, may not exist if he had not been part of helping us get that started in, in the early years. And he said to folks in, that were newer in their recovery, you know, brain injury, and this applies to anything that we face that's really hard. You know, it may be a reason, but it's never an excuse. It may be a reason you can't remember something, but it's not an excuse for not writing it down or figuring out a system how to do that. It may be a reason that you you can't drive, uh, but 
many can, Marvin can, but maybe a reason you can't drive, but it's not an excuse for not taking care of your transportation and, and finding ways to get uh, two places. So that idea, the fact that, yes, this is true, we live in a broken world. There are lots of reasons that people are hitting barriers every day. But we have to be careful to not be like the wicked servant and, and, and make excuses and even blame God and blame others for our, our situation. If we can change that attitude, um, we can do what's right. When I read a parable, I like to place myself as a different character in the, in the parable if there's multiple characters, like the Good Samaritan. I like to think, what, what did it feel like to be beaten up and, and kind of at the mercy, or the, the lawyer or the Pharisee walking, you know, what, what was that like? I mean, they had good reasons and they were afraid and whatever, or the innkeeper or whoever. In this story, though, what came to me is instead of thinking, well, thank goodness I'm either number one or number two. <laughs> um, I sure hope I'm not number three in this story. Um, are all three of those within me? Are all three of those within you? You know, are there things you know that I that I really excel at that I love doing, and I and I and in fact, if you if you take your strength and overdo it, it becomes a great weakness. You know, but are there things that I just get in there and I love to do? Are there some other things that are not really that good at, I, I, but I just sort of, you know, be obedient and go do and do the best I can and, and you know, um, and make things work, you know? And, and sometimes that's what it felt like when I was parenting. Is in fact, I've just, just got to show up and I've just got to do the best I can given the situations or whatever we're facing. But is there that wicked servant in me? Those times when I let my fear or my anxiety or my you know, fear of failure and sometimes fear of success, that, that sabotages people as much as fear of failure, I think. And, and have I let those things, have I become the wicked servant? And as hard as it is to do the right thing, it's so much harder to live with knowing you didn't have the courage to do the right thing. You hear what I'm saying there? It's hard. Sometimes it's really hard to do the right thing. But to not have the courage to do the right thing, boy, that just, that just sticks with me forever. Unfortunately, we live under the grace of God. That it, you just, like we tell our kids, you, you make the next right decision. It's never too late to make the next right decision. Jesus' parables continue to challenge and trouble us. They should. They're designed to do that. They often include a really stern warning, like in this parable. And it's actually, this parable is one of six in the Gospel of Matthew that refer to the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a, obviously a picture of image in that day in particular of hell and eternal damnation and condemnation. They're not intended to be easy, like a fable. They're intended to, to, to stir us up and cause us to ponder and to think and to try to get a sense of what is Jesus saying to them and what is Jesus saying to me. Jesus' teachings were intended to draw listeners into an internal experience, transformation, the possibility of change, the possibility that I can, can do the next right thing, eternal life with God, the possibility of being with him with the, and, and being the, the good and faithful servant, 
new ways of relating to other people, new ways of thinking, renewing of our minds. Parables are intended to draw us inward in contemplation and upward in prayer and outward into community and onward into mission. They're designed to draw us inward and upward and outward and onward for the kingdom of God. That's what they're about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This defines our identity, our identity as the church. This is the great wealth that God has entrusted us with, has invested in us and in our lives. This is our mission. This is the talent, this infinite amount of money that our Lord has trusted us with, the talent. So shall we live as faithful servants who invest wisely in doing the Lord's will? Like the two servants, we need to remember, and this is a good time to remember it in a pandemic with all the other kinds of things that are going on, Remember who we are and remember whose we are. Our citizenship is with the heavenly king. And we are called to love God and love our neighbor and love each other, to move inward and upward and outward and onward, to be ambassadors of the good news of Jesus Christ. We are on mission. And our limitations may be a reason, but they're never an excuse. So in closing, I speak to you the same words that Zachariah spoke over his baby son who would grow up to become John the baptizer. In prophecy he spoke, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. And the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.